Now Nick Fortes, two outs, nobody on. 0-1 to Fortes, he's hit well, deep to left, way back! Nick Fortes has walked it off for the Marlins! They come pouring out of the third base dugout. The rookie catcher, Fortes, with his first... All right, here we go, folks. Welcome to Sportsbook Radio from the Brian Blessing Studio in Las Vegas, brought to you by Station Casinos and the mighty STN app. That's Chris Johnson at the controls. I'm Dana Lane. We appreciate you joining us. How was your weekend, buddy? Uh, it was a pretty good weekend. You know, I uh, got to relax a lot. Got to kind of focus on myself a little bit more this weekend. I, I tried to do that as much as possible. Got a lot of sleep in. I was really excited about that. Got to hang out with some of my friends, and that's basically it this weekend. Because the last week, <laughs> you didn't have any time to yourself. No. Because you came over and took care of my farm. Yep. 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 That see, was, I, see, I didn't bring oh. this up to you. Oh, man. <laughs> and when we were talking about what we're going to talk about. Yeah. I didn't bring this up to you, but yeah. but we will talk about this. Uh, show rundown today. Chuck Esposito from Station Casinos will join us in the second half of the first hour. Hart Levine from Puckpedia will join us in the second half of the second hour. And then we'll, of course, talk about the Stanley Cup final. The Colorado Avalanche win the Stanley Cup in six games from the Tampa Bay Lightning. We'll have plenty on that. And then you'll notice... Now that the NHL season is over and then the NBA season is over, that we will start to transition a little bit towards Major League Baseball. And, of course, it won't be long before the NFL camps open. I mean, did you – how excited do you get, Chris, when you see the list of when camps open? Oh, it's literally like – How exciting is that? I get so excited when I see anything about football coming up at all because I'm like, oh, yeah, we're going to be back to the best sport on the planet because that's how I feel about it. That's my number one sport on the planet. It's just so good A lot of people feel that way with you. It's so good. Like, and I, and for me, I've, I've like studied so much in my life trying to like figure out football. I'm trying to, I want to become a coach at the end of the day. That's what I want to become. So for me, it's, it's been really fun to kind of like every time I hear a new update in the camp, I get to see different like drills get put out there, see new coaches and how they're going to handle it. Like, I love seeing new coaches in the league come up and they had their own first practices with these players in, in camp. And you're like, oh, the players were reacting this type of way with this coach instead of this way. And it's like, is there excitement in the group of guys or is there no excitement with the guys? It's just like, let's hurry up and get this coach out of here already because I'm done with him. Like, it, you can you can see it from the start. So I really love seeing this. Like the Lions last year. I thought they weren't going to really rally that other guy because he sounded like he's a maniac. But they rallied the first day. And I was like, oh, that team's going to be really good in the future. If they can keep him as a coach, they'll be really good. Because well, he he's, he's a good play caller. You know what the thing with the Lions is, and a lot of the teams that have been on the bottom for, very, for a long time, including Jacksonville, the thing about it is every single year they get players coming in from these top universities that have won. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. So they don't understand anything else but getting W's. And then they come into this organization where there's and, nobody and that, else that's good around them, and they're just like, we keep losing, well, hey, and listen, they lose their mind. This is why I, I've said this a thousand times, and they get a quick education on, on losses. Yeah. This is why I've said a thousand times, if I'm a quarterback and my focus is longevity in the league, I don't want to be – and I understand – the financial ramifications of being a top selection in the, in the league. I, I get all that. Yeah. But as far as longevity is concerned, I would rather be a middle first rounder and go to a team 
that has some resemblance of an offensive line in front of me. So my career could be a lot longer. Because how many quarterbacks have gone to Detroit? I mean, guys, guys that I thought, hey, they're good quarterbacks. Yeah. They were really good Matthew in college. Stafford. And Matthew Stafford, hey, listen, you've got to give him all the credit in the world, Chris. Yeah. Because of what he he was able to to do in Detroit with nothing. Well, he had Megatron, Megatron for a while. For sure. But, but I mean, as far that. as, okay, if I'm running a team, it's how good is my offensive line? How good is my running game? They didn't have either of those. And those on a consistent basis. And I used to have, and I, I know you're going to hate this, I, I used to have these conversations about Tony Romo all the time. I mean, you let... You tell me when Romo had an O-line in front of him and a running game, that's when Tony was at his best. Yeah, when he had DeMarco Murray in that, in that Hall of Fame O-line, yeah, he was at his best. Because he had, he had Des Bryant also on the outside. It's, it's one of those things like, yeah, no, he got, he got set up to succeed from that, from that team. So it, it makes sense to see him kind of, you know, like I, I understand the old discussion with him. But. At the same time. But there was no defense. There was on no the defense side. on the other side. It and zero. it helped a lot of the time for the Eagles to beat them in that year. So that in those years, so it was pretty good. But at the same time, it was a battle because, you know, Tony Romo was carrying that team with a lot of good passes to Des Bryant. He got a lot of jump balls for him. And DeMarco Murray was going off for like what, fifteen hundred yard seasons? Oh, well, quite a bit in that team. Still live rent free in your head, don't I'm just I'm just saying like that. I, I gotta give props to that. That team was a good team. It's just they didn't they didn't years. they didn't win a Super Bowl though. 26 years. Neither did the Lions. Since the Cowboys have won a Super Bowl. Yeah. And the league still can't stand them. Well, it's just the... I, I mean, think the what, thing that what is, is so it? annoying, it's just... Please tell me. I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. It's because every Cowboy fan that I know, it seems like to go, hey, this year is our year. And I'm like, it's never been your year for 20-something years. And now that we're finally getting a good quarterback and a good running back, they both can't stay healthy. And they're going to plan on running a read option with your franchise quarterback that's a pocket passer? Hey, come on, man. That's a, that's a horrible idea. Mike McCarthy's going to get Dak Prescott killed. I don't want to see. I want, I want good competition for the Eagles so that whenever they win the games, I can go, hey, they didn't play any bum teams and they, got, they have a false record. I could be like, they had a good record against good teams. If the Cowboys are a good team and we still win, I have a great week. But if they're a bad team and they have no quarterback, now I don't have to worry about it anymore, and I keep on hearing it's our year. But that your whole team's your whole team's injured. But the fact that it matters, the whole team's is, injured. <laughs> I, I don't want to get into this because we we have September through December to talk about. Oh, that's going to be all about it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we know you know you won't be talking about January, so we'll just say September through December. Uh, you're not and, talking about January either. Oh no, sure we are because <laughs> this is our year. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, because the bottom line is though that the more successful. Your franchise is the more you can say this is our year. Welcome to the party, Cincinnati. Jacksonville can never say this is our year because you've never had a year. UNLV basketball for 32 years have been saying this is our year. We're, we're, we have a shot. I, I think we're going to, I mean, the expectations are certainly that. It's not the same, but you get what I mean. You, you understand. That the expectations for UNLV basketball year in and year out, especially the people that were here in in '90 and all those other great teams that were you know just short of winning a national title, a year later, 
they all think, hey, look, I think we could do this again. And I'd much rather be in a city that has that mentality. Just like we talk about the Golden Knights, I'd much rather be in a city that demands winning. I'd much rather be in a city that is not apathetic. That's why I want UNLV football to not be in a, in a, in a hole where apathy has taken over. I don't like being in a town where the college football team is something to do until basketball season starts. That was the, that was the label for years. I don't like that. I want every team to do well. To do well. And I want every team to feed off of every other team because that's how you build a, 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 a sports town. And we're, I mean, it's incredible. I remember, you know, getting here in 92 and just talking to people about professional sports and people would say, oh, that will never happen. Well, it's gone from that will never happen to this is one of the best sports cities in the world. And where are the next major league teams going to come from? Who is it? Is it going to be the NBA? Is it going to be the MLB? Is it going to be the MLS? Like, who's coming next? It's a whole discussion now. And I love it. We are always in a discussion for the biggest events. And the one, the missing piece that we needed to have is Allegiant Stadium. Allegiant Stadium allows us, as a town, to put on Super Bowls and, and, and have NCAA tournament games and anything on that on that stage even yeah. even concerts to an to an extent where hey look the motley crew def leopard joan jet poisons stadium tour is coming because of allegiant stadium otherwise it wouldn't be here we we no longer are a town where hey look big acts come but you're gonna have to pay 350 bucks just to get in the door yeah because that's that's the venue that we have. And, and with the addition of T-Mobile and Allegiant Stadium, we have really, I mean, this town has exploded on, on, in every way possible. And I'm very fortunate and I'm very happy to be part of that. Uh, of course, last night, Colorado Avalanche win the Stanley Cup. They won it for the first time since 2001. So with hockey season over and the NBA season over, that means we're going to go heavy into baseball and we go – I mean, this is my one of my favorite times of year because I love, I love baseball. I love Major League Baseball, despite the fact I'm a Pirates fan, and we're already double digits out of the wild card. I mean, <laughs> we have no shot at this point. But thank goodness uh, we uh, we have the Las Vegas Aviators, and every time I go out, whether it was with Cash to Cashman Field or it was going out to the Las Vegas ballpark, there was something about being out there that I said, this is, this is really the fabric of Las Vegas. Th- these are the true sports fans that will sit out here in the heat and, and watch minor league baseball. And I'm like, this organization is so underappreciated for what it's done whether it was the Stars, the 51s, the Aviators, underappreciated for their ability to just continue on, where even in minor league baseball, teams move around all the time. And so I I think they should always get uh, a much bigger pat on the back. Oh, yeah. With that being said, let's bring in the 2021 Nevada Sportscaster of the Year. He's won that award 11 times and won as the play-by-play announcer for the Albuquerque Dukes in 99. Let's give a warm welcome to the man behind the mic, Russ Langer. And, Russ, you've been calling games in Vegas here for almost 25 years, and when I talk about this award, uh, which you're presented 
which you were presented with early this year, you have to think, hey, this is a cool award. But even behind it, what's even cooler is the fact that your peers are the one ones that gave you this award. I mean, that has to feel great to you. You're exactly right, Dana. That's exactly it. I, I think that the fact that it is a peer-driven award is what lends the most meaning to it. I mean, any, any kind of recognition you get in an industry as competitive as this one is always welcome, and it's very nice. It feels great. But something like this, where it is a, a, a survey of your peers, your peer group, that is absolutely uh, something that is really the pinnacle uh, for someone who's been in the business as long as I have. And, Russ, the other thing about that, uh, maybe the second layer to that, is it's not just about broadcasting your games. It also has a lot to do with your ability to have relationships with people. And I'm not saying this is a popularity contest because, obviously, your work stands on its own. But it also says something about you and who you are as a person to be able to have all these relationships amongst their peers and a little known fact about me russ for for a split second i did stand-up comedy and when you're starting out you have to do it in front of your peers and none of the peers want to laugh because if they laugh at you that means that they're getting knocked down a notch i mean you've been able to maintain a relationship with the people that are voting for you which says something about your ability way beyond your ability to call games well, you know, that's something I've always prided myself on is that everywhere I've gone, I, I just maybe it's just the, my passion for what I do, and, and it lends itself to lasting and meaningful relationships within the community. And it, it's just been I was very lucky that way. Lucky, first of all, to have the job, and then, and then to continue as long as I have. And then, as you say, build these relationships. And <clears throat> it is, there's no question, that's a part of it. Um, you know, you can you can be a talented broadcaster, but if you're not, if you don't have some sort of some degree of personal appeal, likely that, that you're not going to be the winner in, in, a, in a competition like this. So, this is um, it's one of the best things about it. I've always said uh, the things that I miss during the off season the most. Yeah, I miss the games, but I miss the people more than anything else. And that that's to your point about building relationships. Did baseball, which seems to be your love i mean i know you've done a lot of other things in town here you've done you know unlv football a lot of things for unlv did unlv sports did that did that hit the mark for you as a broadcaster or or is baseball just so ingrained in who you are that those other things are great to do and they're time fillers but baseball is really where it's at for you well most of my career has been centered around Major League and and AAA baseball. However, uh, ever since I got to town, I've been wanting to get some sort of meaningful position within UNLV because it is such a, a tremendous component of the fabric of this community. Yes. So when I got the opportunity 10 years ago uh, to do football, I said, absolutely. And uh, went in for the interview, and I, I felt good about everything. And, and uh, once I got that job, um, I was told, you know, that this is something you, that if you want it, you can have it for a long time. And I'm very grateful because it does have a, a great deal of meaning. Because, you know, the thing about AAA baseball is great, but affiliations change, team ownerships can change. But with, it, with UNLV, this is a bedrock 
of this community, and I'm proud to be a part of it. Well, Rush, you're always welcome to call UNLV hockey games with me if you want to put that on your resume. <laughs> so you're, the, the mic's always open for you. I, I've been pretty vocal about the fact, and we'll get to the team in a second, but I, mean, I think your story is so fascinating, and it, it goes back quite a long ways with me, and I think it's synonymous with the voice that you hear over the summer and, you know, some. <laughs> I remember, and you probably do too, Russ. I mean, when I was a kid, we didn't have the ability to turn on any game we wanted at any time or to turn on our phones and get any minor league baseball or, you know, let alone video. I mean, you couldn't get any audio except of your your local team. I mean, do you ever allow yourself to go back and think, man, if I grew up in this time, how great would I be that I didn't have to wait for radio stations to power down so I can move my dial slowly and hopefully pick up a baseball game on the, on the air somewhere? Well, I, the, here's the reason why that is not something that keeps me up at night. I was very fortunate we moved uh, to Los Angeles when I was only in the second grade, and this is in the late 60s, and we were in one of the suburbs of Los Angeles in the San Fernando Valley. And we had the radio on all the time. My dad grew up in Brooklyn. He kept his Dodger allegiance. We would go to Dodger games. Back then, the transistor radios would be so plentiful throughout Dodger Stadium. You could hear Vin Scully's call reverberating throughout the stadium. And then there'd be the occasional TV games. But because we had the Dodger games on all the time, I never really felt like, gee, what if if I'd been able to, to have the Internet or what if I'd been able to... To, to access something on a mobile phone or some other device. It, 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 I never felt cheated that way just because I grew up in uh, listening to baseball royalty on the radio. And maybe the difference is when I grew up um, as a Pirates fan, but I was in upstate New York because I was in that era of the We Are Family, and that was influential to me. Maybe it was because I could never listen to the Pirates. I, once in a while, got a feed from KD, KDKA, once in a great wild uh, at night. And that was such a treat to me. But it's probably different for you because the team that you follow, you could you can listen to every night. I wish I was a Yankee fan, Russ, because then maybe my, my childhood would have been a lot easier because we could get those games all the time. Well, you know, being a, being a Pirates fan is like me, being an Oriole fan. You, you, you build character. <laughs> yes, it really does. I mean, and, and we appreciate 79. And, and that, was, uh, that was the year. If you had won, I probably would have been an Oriole fan that year. So uh, either way, I would have lost. Hey, you're... Well, here's, here's something you could appreciate, Dana. <laughs> okay. Um, that, that 79 series devastated me. Um, as, a, as a college student, I, I, you know, the 71 series hurt, but the 79 series was even worse for me because that just seemed like our year as the Oriole, as Oriole fans. But then many years later, when I was with the Albuquerque team and we had a road trip to Calgary, which at the time was a Pirates affiliate, Willie Stargell, mm-hmm. was a, who was a roving coordinator in the Pirates organization at that time in 1997, came through Calgary. And I, I had a chance to meet him and interview him. He could not have been nicer. He could not have been more gracious or down to earth. And I didn't want to like him. I didn't want to like him because of 1979. But I had to like. He is one of the nicest people I've ever met in or out of sports. 
And so uh, I, I, the, the 79 thing doesn't sting as much anymore. Well, isn't that the way it goes, though? I mean, when you're a kid, it's all about the teams you dislike. And then when you get further into the, in, into the industry and you have a chance to know these people on a personal basis or, or just a passing basis, you say, wow, I mean, you realize they're a person that's trying to work and make a living, and they just happen to be on the team that beat yours. I mean, I think as you get older, that hatred for other teams, especially when you're in the industry, does that go away a little bit? Because I, I can tell you, Russ, there was a long time in the early 90s, mid-90s, I didn't like the Sacramento Rivercats at all. They seemed to be a constant thorn in Las Vegas's side, but... As you get deeper into this, you just realize, hey, look, these are all people, and if they're on your team, you love them. You would love them at that point. That's a great. That's a great point. I would say, for me, growing up as I said, an Oriole fan, and also in the National League, a Dodger fan. I mean, I, I would never root for the Yankees. I, I, at that time, I would have rooted for the Iranian Nationals if they had a team over the Yankees. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, now, as you point out, Dana, now that I'm in the business. And I, I'm a baseball fan first. Yeah, I like when those teams win, the teams that I grew up with rooting for. But I'm a baseball fan first. Baseball has endured so much with strikes and labor issues and steroids and all, kind, all manner of things that they've been challenged with. And now we have a situation, a lot of controversial rules trying to, they're trying to implement, and, and much of it, quite honestly, is not really helping the game at all. Um, so and now you have, you know, also decision on MLB to knock out 41 minor league teams while they also talk about growing the game, which I, is something that's contradictory to me. Right. But th- so when I see all of this that go on, I, when I see Yankee fans now or some of the Yankee camp, you know what I do? I just say, you know what? At least they're a baseball fan. That's good enough for me. Russ, as an Oriole fan, and we've talked about this a million times on this show. Do you just feel when April comes around, and it didn't used to be like this, you know, early early on when they started to hang on to baseball a lot, when I felt like the Pirates had a chance and the Orioles had a chance, and of course in the 70s they proved that they did, but do you, do you as the years go on, do you just say, wow, I mean, the economics of baseball will never allow my team to be consistently good, whereas other teams have to just reload we have to reload for a decade to be good, and that's only to have two or three good years, and then we're right back at it again. I don't feel that way, Dana, and I'll tell you why. Because there was a time, certainly, when that was in play, when the gaps between the haves and the have-nots caused this sort of dominance on the part of the bigger market teams that you just described. But I think the baseball did respond to that well when the Yankees went on their run in the late 90s and into, into 2000, uh, winning all those championships in 96, 98, and 99, and 2000, and then they won the pennant in 01 and lost in that amazing series to the Diamondbacks. But, but baseball responded well in two ways, revenue sharing and the luxury tax, which, which has not completely balanced the playing field. But now, that if you don't win today, it's really your fault. It takes, yes, money helps, no question about that, but it takes good scouting, 
It takes shrewd decision-making in the part of the front office, good trades, good decisions on free agents, and, and how you spend the money. And that's the reason why the high-spending Yankees have won one World Series in the last 20 years. The high-spending Dodgers have won one World Series in the last 30, 34 years. Meanwhile, medium-sized markets like San Francisco and St. Louis have had way more success than the Dodgers and Yankees put together. The Kansas City Royals are the only team to go to the World Series back-to-back years in the last 20 years, 2014 and 2015. The Kansas City Royals? I mean, this is proof of what I'm I'm trying to to illustrate here, that, yes, money is a factor, but I can go on and on with all of it. In the last 20 years, there have been 17 different pennant winners, and it's just... Uh, I don't know how much more parity baseball could really have. Right, and I understand that, but if you're well over $200 behind, uh, talk about the Orioles, $200 behind the Los Angeles Dodgers in spending, it's not so much about winning the World Series, it's about being in it. And when you're talking about the top payroll teams, the Dodgers, Mets, Yankees, Phillies, Padres, you you can go on and on, those teams always feel like they're in it every year. The gaps between me uh, and and feeling like I'm in it seems like it's just so far apart. And, and I understand what you're saying, because if the Pirates wanted to go out and spend money, they absolutely could do that. I mean, the TV contracts will take care of their payroll, especially theirs. And, and so they choose not to do that. And I think it's, for me, it's it's just a combination of, well... Hey, look, I don't expect to be the Dodgers, but if the Cubs or the Rangers, even the Rangers are spending $140 million and they're at, in the middle of the pack, could we at least be approaching that? Because you can't be an organization either that is really essentially a quadruple A to Major League Baseball, and that's the way a, the poorly run Pittsburgh Pirates have been for a very long time. Well, I, I agree, but that's because they are poorly run. It has less to do, I think, uh, with what the results in the last 20 years have shown uh, than, than the dollar figures, which, as, as I said, that, that is definitely important. I mean, the Angels in 2002, they've been around 41 years, never won anything. They won the series. In 03, the Marlins won the series over the Yankees that's outspent them by $100 million. The Red Sox hadn't won in 04 since, 20, two, since 1918. They won. Um, 2005, you had the White Sox, hadn't won since 1917. They won. I mean, you I mean, the Tigers came out of nowhere to win the pennant in 06. The Rockies came out of nowhere to win the National League pennant in 07. I mean, the, the Phillies, it's just, it's just incredible. I mean, it, I, I just I love the fact that despite the payroll differences, teams that are shrewd and, and understand about player development and smart scouting and smart drafting and intelligent moves can, can compete. They can, especially now with the two wild cards. Hey, we're talking to Russ Langer, uh, play-by-play announcer for the Las Vegas Aviators. And Russ, I don't want to get you off the phone before talking about yesterday's game. Uh, the Isotopes, of course, led 8 nothing, bottom of the fifth before uh, the Aviators had, what, four in the fifth and then five more in the eighth to get the comeback from an 8 nothing win or 8 nothing deficit. Have you ever been part of something like that? Or where does that comeback at least rank uh, in your uh, your files of doing this, uh, doing uh, broadcasting the sport almost 25 years? Well, it's one of the best comebacks uh, that a Las Vegas team has had in, in many, many years. I do remember a game, um, this is going back to about 2003 or 2004, when there was still a team in Edmonton, Canada. The Trappers. And, and the, yes. And the, at that time, 
Um, the the Las Vegas 51s made a trip up there and were trailing nine to one in the ninth inning, <sighs> and and they got I think they got nine or ten consecutive hits and scored nine runs and went on to win the game ten to nine. Um, it was just it was unbelievable what was going on, and it was unfortunately Edmonton had run out of pitchers because they had a doubleheader that went extra innings the day before, so they had this little left-handed pitcher. I remember him, Anthony Ferrari. And I'm thinking, good grief, this kid. He's going to need psychological help after this because they had nobody to help him, and they had nobody. So he just he had to he had to be the sacrificial lamb. That's the single most impressive comeback I've seen. But the, the game last night ranks way way up there when you're down like that, and you know you have a good hitting team like Albuquerque that you're playing. And of course, Vegas has opened up a three and a half game lead in the Western Division of the Pacific Coast League. Um, one, one last question, Russ. <laughs> it was always, I, I always knew it was a thing because I, prior broadcasters uh, doing Stars and 51s games, or Stars games, you know, John Sandler would always talk about this. Do, do you ever, when you started out and Edmonton was still in the league, did you look at the schedule and say, please don't go to Edmonton in April because it's a wasted trip? Yeah, yeah. Nobody wanted to go there. I mean, they, they didn't want any home games there. We had we had one season. And I think it was my first season in Las Vegas when they were still the Stars back in two thousand uh, when Dwayne Espy managed them. Right. And uh, and we we actually opened the season uh, in Calgary and we uh, we played I believe one game and then the the the, the, the king just got too cold, too cold and windy. We couldn't play, so we got on a bus to go to Edmonton and. We stopped at a place called, I think it's called Red Deer, which is about midway. Right. We, we got off the bus to get, yeah, like a convenience store. And we, pick up a, a, we picked up an Edmonton newspaper, and the pitching coach, Greg Minton, the ex-giant pitcher, he's, he's on the field at Tellus Field shoveling snow. And I said, we're not going to play. So we get to Edmonton, and we sat in the hotel for four days. They had, they had like a foot of snow. They couldn't play. <laughs> so, yeah, to, to answer your question, yes, that was the only time I can remember opening the season there. But even even games in later April into May could be very tough, and it's part of the reason why uh, those teams are not in the Pacific Coast League anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, I remember those uh, those games, and I and I do, uh, and I don't know, it's like ninety two, ninety three. I listen to, to games on the air, and I'm thinking, man, this is this is crazy. And of course, we could go down to history with Edmonton because, of course, Vegas played them in, in the PCL Finals one year. Uh, we always appreciate you coming on, Russ. You do a tremendous job. I'm a huge proponent of you getting uh, to the next level, and we wish you nothing but the best and can't wait to have you back on again. Dan, it's great to be on. I appreciate it very much. I'll come back anytime. All right, there goes Russ Langer, play-by-play broadcaster for the Las Vegas Aviators. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, Chuck Esposito from Station Casinos will join us. STN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. STN Sports has it all. In-play betting, mobile parlay cards, the Play Plus card to fund and withdraw from anywhere in Nevada, and up to a $100 new sign-up bonus. STN Sports even lets you earn rewards for every bet. Safe and easy betting from your phone or tablet. Go to StationCasinoSports.com or sign up at any Station Casino or Wildfire. Complete details available at all sportsbooks. Oasis Bar and Grill at 4955 South Decatur near the corner of Trop has been totally renovated. It features incredible food with a kitchen that's open 24-7. Gaming promotions every month. There are cashback drawings for loyal players. The banquet room is spacious and a great venue for any type of function. Sports fans won't miss any of the action with HDTVs throughout the property. 
Oasis is a great place to meet and make new friends. The staff is fun and engaging. Get in on the fun with great food, great drink, and gaming promotions at Oasis Bar and Grill, 4955 South Dakota. Experience the thrill of the grill. John Smith Subs is home of the famous Steak Bomb and other premium deli subs with grilled-to-order marinated sirloin steak, grilled chicken, farm-fresh veggies, and delicious bread baked daily. Our subs are making a name for themselves with quality and flavor. Add an order of piping hot french fries and you have a meal you can't get anyplace else. Experience the thrill of the grill at John Smith Subs. Visit johnsmithsubs.com to find a location near you. Hey, Golden Knights fans, I'm attorney Adam Kuttner. I'm proud to be an official partner of the Vegas Golden Knights. We're giving you the chance to play at home along with the Golden Knights to win home game tickets through our power play giveaway. Each time the Golden Knights are on a power play, we'll pick one of my Twitter followers who tags me on Twitter with the hashtag Adam Kuttner power play. And when the Golden Knights score, that lucky fan wins tickets to the Fortress. So make sure to follow me on Twitter. Go Knights, go! Calling all Vegas Golden Knights super fans for the Terribles game day giveaway. During all of Vegas Golden Knights home games, visit any participating Terribles location, make a qualifying purchase, get a scratch card, enter on the Terribles app, and you could win a $1,000 Golden Knights shopping spree. Best yet, one lucky customer will win this prize every day the Vegas Golden Knights have a home game. Terribles game day giveaway. It's only at Terribles. Visit Terribles.com for more details. Oasis Bar and Grill at 4955 South Decatur near the corner of Trop has been totally renovated. It features incredible food with a kitchen that's open 24-7. Gaming promotions every month. There are cashback drawings for loyal players. The banquet room is spacious and a great venue for any type of function. Sports fans won't miss any of the action with HDTVs throughout the property. Oasis is a great place to meet and make new friends. The staff is fun and engaging. Get in on the fun with great food, great drink, and gaming promotions at Oasis Bar and Grill, 4955 South Decatur. STN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. STN Sports has it all. In-play betting, mobile parlay cards, the Play Plus card to fund and withdraw from anywhere in Nevada, and up to a $100 new sign-up bonus. STN Sports even lets you earn rewards for every bet. Safe and easy betting from your phone or tablet. Go to stationcasinosports.com or sign up at any station casino or wildfire complete details available at all sports books Welcome back to Sportsbook Radio from the Brian Blessing Studio, brought to you by Station Casinos and the STN app. I'm Dana Lane, along with Chris the Moose Johnson. Chris, you were just telling me, yeah, and I know you talked to Chuck about this last week, but yeah, his son ruined your my, playing career, my playing career in flag like football. Like scouts just walked well, away. Well, no, it was just it was funny because we would have practices, right, and we would call, we would go against Nikki's team, and we would, and he would, and Nick he is, would, and they would they would demolish his, his son, and they yeah. would demolish us. Cause like I was a quarterback, so I try to run out, and he would, and I just hear get him, Nikki, and I just see all of a sudden Nikki is like like a foot away from me, and I'm like, oh, I I got pulled already. I, I try just I throw the ball as hard as I can, as far as I can, and it's interception every time. Like he would. Why don't you be, just throw it away? I can't. 
because like, like we we can't get any play off, so I had to force passes. He was forcing Jeez. me to make pa- to force passes I didn't want to throw. So it was it was it was fun though. It was it was a great time. Um, I got to give props. Chuck always came over and like, right. gave us a little like, "Hey, it's how are you supposed to beat us and stuff." And then we'd go to the next practice and we would play in the exact way he told us to, and we would lose by like forty. <laughs> Okay. So <laughs> Well, let's see if this is accurate. Uh, one of my fav- favorite segments is when we catch up with what's going on at Station Casinos with our good friend Chuck Esposito. And Chuck, is this is this true? Is your son a terror on the field and really forced uh, Chris to, to choose another uh, career? Uh, I think Chris is being really nice and exaggerating a little bit. I, I know that, you know, Nicky was really one-dimensional. He was really fast. He was a uh, smaller i mean he's actually taller than me now but he was at that time i mean he was very fast and he loved uh, the rushing part but uh it, it was funny he he ended up playing on coach uh cole's team and i remember the big piece was they they wanted a rusher who was just like he was just crazy at being a rusher he loved yes. sacking the quarterback and he really enjoyed it and it was fun chris did a great job of course and i appreciate saying that i mentioned to nikki the other day he started laughing so uh, all, all good stuff boys hey chuck I, w- I was thinking over the weekend is there a more visible sports book director than you in this industry and i give you credit because i don't know if that's a job requirement when you you know went in and applied but you know i mean you have this podcast you're working with various media outlets i mean that aspect of the job has to be a passion for you or you know you probably just kind of do the bare minimum of what the job requires but i mean you seem to really love that aspect I do, Dana. It's it's fun. I think being a uh, you know kind of a, a spokesperson and, and face for the industry um, is something that I really enjoy. I mean, I I, I kind of wanted to get into sports broadcasting when I uh, um, you know got out of high school, and that was kind of my my passion at the time. Uh, got into this industry, had a love for sports. You know, growing up, just to backtrack, and you know, unfortunately, at five seven on a good day, playing at the next level wasn't really in the cards. So uh, the sports broadcasting part was something that really appealed to me. But got into this industry as a, as a young guy, loved it. Um, started moving up each rung of the ladder, and was able to kind of really fulfill my love for sports. But then the the media piece also came by, um, and and I love that as well. And I, I thought it was such a great spot, even you know. 25 years ago to kind of mesh the two together and, you know, kind of educate our guests on things that are going on and educate, you know, anybody who's interested in sports gaming. You know, little did I know that there would be such a explosion um, like there is today um, in sports gaming that, you know, that being kind of uh, a voice for the industry and being able to put that out there has even become more and more important. But um, I, I do really enjoy and appreciate that end of it as well. And I think you guys can always hear it in my voice that um, I'm never bored. I still have that same passion uh, and enthusiasm for it and, and love talking about it, no yep. matter where I'm at. I'm on the media, talking to a guest or walking into a, a Starbucks or a restaurant when, when people come up to me and want to chat about it, um, I always enjoy it just as much, guys. Chuck, I always try to look at things from the whether it's handicapping or uh, just you know humans in general. I mean, I always try to look at things from the psychological standpoint of things, and I and I think think there's a direct correlation between why sports betting is so popular and maybe you can you know kind of support that being in the on the side of the counter that you're on that you know we all grew up playing these games and we love to play but there was a point where the sport said we don't want you anymore to be on the field and so you have to kind of find that okay where is my fulfillment going to come from 
and I think gaming really provides the the it really provides the option of being as close to sports as you possibly can be without actually being on the field because when you got money on the line I mean it is like you are living and dying with every play and that kind of fulfills where you were as an athlete at one point yeah it does I mean I, I was super competitive um you know always wanted to to win no matter what. I mean, if it was playing really, you know, competitively in, in leagues in baseball or, you know, in Little League or, or Pop Warner or, or, you know, at the next level and or just playing, you know, uh, casually at a park or, you know, I know it's going to sound funny when I say this or, or playing in a driveway or out in the street. Yes. Most people are going, what? People actually played football in the street? Or, oh, yeah. Or shot hoops in a driveway? Sure. But that, that did happen, everybody. So uh, at once upon a time. But, yeah, I, I was really competitive with it and loved it. And then I was fortunate when I got into the industry that I worked for um, Art Man Terrace and he saw something, you know, in me at a very young age. And I think my, my passion really, you know, shined through. And, and it's still the same today. I get just as excited that first weekend of, you know, pro football and, and during March Madness. I, I, I can't wait. I don't sleep the night before. And it doesn't matter if it was my first one or my 30th one. I, I feel the exact same way. And, um, but it does. I mean, just having, again, a love for sports. I was that kid, guys, without boring you too much, that collected baseball cards, you know, uh, well up into my, you know, yes. late teens and early 20s and still do with my son and love sports memorabilia and love, you know, kind of keeping stats. And um, this is really kind of, uh, I, I've been really fortunate to have this as a career um, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah, there was no greater feeling, Chuck than finding an empty parking lot, which really was on the side of a, a supermarket at most, in most cases. No greater feeling than cranking a tennis ball on top of price choppers and you know just running around like you just hit a home run in a World Series. So I understand. Yeah. <laughs> price choppers no, have got right. like I remember, 50 you know, tennis balls. Baseball cards. Collecting those baseball cards in, in my you know late teens and early 20s, my mom used to always tell me, God, I, I wish you were as passionate about school oh, as, you know, God, as you I are about it. cards. And yes. then when I became um, assistant <laughs> vice president at, in race and sports at Caesars, I remember I, I sent her flowers, and the card said, Mom, my love for sports paid off. Love yes. you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's get um, to the Stanley Cup final and we'll talk a little bit about the NBA. How did the Stanley Cup final do for the book? Uh, now that the season has ended up, did it match up with the NBA in, in any way as far as handle? And I would think, and maybe it's just the circle that I hang out with, but man, the talk about the Stanley Cup final, and I, I know it stood alone for a, for a few days, but man, it, it just, it's, it's mind-boggling to me, and I think you're going to tell me that the handle doesn't compare, but it's just so mind-boggling to me because it doesn't correlate to the amount of people talking about the Stanley Cup final versus the NBA. You know, I think the fact that the NBA ended so early um, really benefited um, the NHL. And I think, you know, the handle that we saw the last few games in the Stanley Cup um, was phenomenal. Great. Um, we were, Good. you know, we, we, cl- we clearly did much better from our side of the counter um, on the Stanley Cup than we did in the NBA championship with the Warriors winning, you know, uh, 4-2 and actually, you know, winning really 4-1 after that first game. And the series price, uh, the, the guests and the betters were all over the Warriors. It was extremely, you know, profitable for them, as we talked about. It was just the flip side in, in the NHL that having the, the abs as the favorite, you know, you normally don't get a lot of uh, future book action on the fave. I think, you know, there was more value on Tampa coming in, being the two-time champs, a huge, discre- you know, a huge disparity between uh, the, the two guys in the putt between the pipes. 
Uh, so we were clearly Avs fans. But um, overall, guys, the, the handle, I, I think, kind of the atmosphere is, uh, is, is kind of a testament to the success of the Knights. So although they weren't in it today, I mean, this year, they've really done a, a great job of helping kind of bring hockey more to the forefront for the betters. We added more and more props up this year. You know, you had, we added the fight element. Um, so anything we can do to kind of give the guests and the betters an opportunity to kind of find other things to wager on during the course of a, of a game or a best of seven, we do. And uh, this year it was a win-win, I think, for both sides of the counter. Now we're talking to Chuck Esposito, Sportsbook Director at Station Casinos. Chris wants to ask you a question about the NBA. But before we do that, I w- want to just ask you one more question um, in relation to the Stanley Cup Final. I mean, do you think the fact that the Stanley Cup Final went longer than the NBA forced people to really focus on that and not make a choice between the two sports uh, like they do in most case, in most years do you think that that's going to maybe you know flow over to next season where you maybe maybe you have found some hockey fans that didn't know that they were hockey fans yeah I think so guys um you know I think next year it starts October 11th um which you know we'll see how it kind of blends and meshes with um the NBA schedule I know that the NBA has talked about for many years starting their season you know, around Christmas Day, um, so there isn't that overlap as much with football. Right. Um, maybe that would give the finals kind of a, a different feel in, in, in hockey because you're not going like head-to-head with the NBA playoffs. Um, but, but, I, but I would say yes. I would say the fact that it went a little bit longer this year and you know all you really had kind of was baseball at that point, um, that, you know, having the abs who were the, the preseason faves against the two-time champs, I think it did add uh, a lot more interest and handle um, from the guests on the other side of the counter. Hey, Chuck. Uh, so I want to talk about what's going on with the Nets right now because it seems like right now Kyrie Irving's gone. They keep on talking about trying to move him. He wants to go to the Lakers bad, but Brooklyn is kind of saying they don't want anything from the Lakers at all in this trade sign trade. So... The only option that seems to come up to the table for him going to the Lakers is he declines his $36 million player option and then takes a $6 million exception with the Lakers and stays with Russ, LeBron, and AD and have all four of them on the same team. I don't know. I mean, I think that's going to make KD leave. And I see, like, the, the Nets have, what, the fourth best odds to win the the, uh, the finals next year? And KD they, has already said. And he's already said he's not, he doesn't want to be there right now. He's got no problem going to the Warriors. Exactly. So, I mean, what's going to happen? Are the Net, how far are the Nets going to fall off if this happens? Well, I mean, they're definitely going to fall off. I, I think the key, though, is that, you know, KD can say that he wants to leave all that he wants, but he's under contract for four years. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, he's not in the same position as, as Kyrie. I mean, he, if he wants to take the, the mid-level exception and, 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 you know, roll the dice with that, 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 those could be, that could be in the cards. But that is not the case with, with KD. He has signed a lucrative extension. And it's not, you know, where a lot of times a guy has a year or two left. He has four years left. So if I'm New Jersey, I clearly – I'm Brooklyn, I'm sorry. I clearly hold the cards. Um, so, you know, they're going to have to get a haul, I would think, in return. Um, so, you know, I, it's it's interesting because I don't know what the answer is right now. I know there's some other big-name free agents, um, you know, in the NBA, and a lot of stuff has been kind of rumored and, and talked about and smoke screens, but that probably is the first domino to fall. And once that falls, I think we'll get a better kind of – picture but again it's Brooklyn who holds the cards as far as I'm concerned so if I'm them you better I better get rewarded handsomely if I'm going to make this deal 
Oh yeah, I mean if you if you're training Kevin Durant, I'd want multiple first round picks and I'd want a superstar player. But when it comes down to the rest of the league, like the Mavericks, I literally who went to the um, the Western Conference Finals, they're still behind the Clippers, who really didn't do anything. I know Kyrie, I know uh, I know Kawhi and Paul George are both were both kind of hurt until the, until Paul George kind of stepped up in the playoffs and then they kind of just lost. I don't. I think the Mavericks are gonna make more of a push this year for everyone that's a big name. Like for example, if they can get Bradley Beal on that team, if they could get, they might even go for Kyrie Irving if he's a wide open for a spot. I mean. They might be able to, like, I think the Mavericks might mess around and be a top three pick First next year. And I think I think the Mavericks would be a good choice to bet on for next year. I mean, Stop I don't trying see to poach think- the one player the Wizards have. Can you just lay off of my team? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you want Bradley really Beal to go so I bad. Could, you know, the, the Heat have been tied to a number of players as well. Um, I think, you know, the Mavs did pick up Wood. They need they need options. You know, they, they don't just need one option with uh, Luka. They need, you know, option two, three, four, and five. So, yeah, if, if I'm Dallas and I'm Mark Cuban, I'm in on everybody. And I think as this kind of unfolds a little bit more, if that happens, you know, there's other big names out there still, um, it's going to be an interesting offseason in, in the NBA. I mean, we've seen it that, you know, guys are kind of – chatting behind the scenes and kind of lobbying and, and posturing for these super teams and, and what they want. Um, it hasn't really proven to be as successful as, you know, they, they had hoped it would be. And I think, you know, a lot of times you see the action from the betters, um, you know, who back this team. And we saw it with the Nets, um, you know, with, with, the, when the, with the, the, the three-headed monster they had there, that they were all over them uh, to win the, the championship. So, um, it's going to be, again, a really interesting offseason. I don't have the answers. I, I know that Dallas is going to be in. I know the Lakers want to do some things. I've heard a lot of things about the Heat, um, Chicago. Uh, there's a lot of teams that are looking to make a big splash in, in free agency. So we'll see how it kind of unfolds in the next you know, several weeks, guys. And, Chuck, with Bryce Harper out with a fractured thumb, what adjustment did, you, uh, did the book make on the Phillies? You know, just a, a slight adjustment up. Um, did did lower some of the teams in their division a little bit more with how well the the kind of the Braves have been playing and and you know the Mets who are going to get both Scherzer and Degrom back soon. Um, my guess is the Phillies will be um, a buyer at at the trade deadline and yep. you know not sure how long Harper's going to be out yet. But um, the, there's you know a lot of movement that's going to happen in baseball too, guys. There's such a gap right now that you look at the Yankees who are more games over 500 then 12 teams have wins in the league, um, that there's going to be a lot of sellers and a lot of buyers, and there's going to be some big-name guys that are moved. And if Harper's going to be out for an extended period, um, which we're still waiting for the determination of that, um, I I think the Phillies may have to make a move. And, of course, your terrific staff over there has – Absolutely done it again. When, when I think that there's no more props to be put up, you, you send me more. And the, the latest prop that you put up was uh, the most receiving yards in the NFL, and you have, uh, you have uh, Justin Jefferson and Devontae Adams, of course, at the top. How, how do you assess a guy, say like Mark Andrews, uh, who was a tight end, he had almost 1,400 yards last year and finished sixth in receiving, but is not amongst your top ten. Is it tough to put a number on a tight end when you know they're likely going to be in the mix but probably will not lead the league in receiving? Well, Andrews is, is interesting because if you look at Kelsey, you know, he's, he's above um, um, Andrews. I think the key with, with Andrews is, and, and that's why he's, he's down a little bit, one, Baltimore doesn't have a lot 
as far as wide receiver goes. You know, Bateman is the guy right now. Right. But for Baltimore, they are such a running team. And, you know, if they get a healthy Dobbins back and some of the other guys that were banged up last year, and we know Jackson is such a running quarterback, it's tough to put any Raven in the top maybe five or ten because of their style of play. They are most certainly, probably more than any other team in the league, run first. Um, so that kind of, you know, ticks Andrews down a little bit, in my opinion. And obviously you also have a rushing prop that's out. Uh, Derrick Henry looking to play a full season after, I think, what, he played eight games last year. Uh, what was the discussion like when you're talking about a player that you have to project what he's going to do uh, based upon last year's injuries versus a guy like, say, Jonathan Taylor, who you know what he's going to do. How, how do you arrive at a number uh, based upon those two factors? You know, it, it's tough this far out altogether, guys, because we're, we look at Henry and um, no question, you know, he was beat up last year and, and missed a, you know, a segment. We know how talented he is and how good he is. But you look at running backs who have done what he has done over the last four years and the age that he's at, and usually you start to see a downward trajectory. Um, Taylor, who had the great year last year, I think that offense is going to be more um, balanced this year with Matt Ryan at quarterback. Um, Cook, who now has a coach who's more of a, a passing coach, um, you know, does that change him at all? Um, Chubb, we know the offensive line there is great. But I'm not 100% sure who the quarterback's going to be there. Um, you know, Mixon and, and Harris are interesting. I think we're kind of looking at all the factors from the, the offseason, looking at what these guys accomplished last year, and kind of projecting where we think they're at. But it really is more homework. And, again, I want to compliment our, our traders who really yes. kind of dug into this. And, and you know, we, we poured through some stats over the weekend and looked at things and, and, you know, put this up and, you know, we'll move it a little faster right now because there's a lot of uncertainty um, with a lot of these guys and what's going on in the league. Um, but it's fun to put this stuff up, guys. But we're really kind of looking at it and doing exactly what we're doing now, having these internal discussions about, you know, kind of projecting out where we think teams will be, um, you know, throughout the course of the season. And how long does it take you to come up with, say, you know, your your futures? You have, you know, 20 guys or whatever that you're posting that could lead the league, of course, with the field. I mean, how long does that process actually take? Well, we started talking about it, um, Dana, probably about a, a week ago. And said, let's let's um, let's kind of go through the entire league, look at you know um, all the top rushers in the league. If there's any ro- rookies that are going to make an impact, uh, guys that were injured, let's look at kind of their strength of schedule. Let's kind of put all this stuff down. And you know, analytics has become such a big part, I think, in everything yes. that we do on our side of the counter, like it's been for you know many guests on the other side of the counter, and in, in all industries, maybe across the board as a whole. Um, we're kind of looking at the analytics side of it, trends, um, projections. And then we'll kind of sit down in, our, in a room and, and kind of brainstorm and, and put it up. And you let the guests tell us, you know, really quickly if these mm-hmm. numbers are too high or too low on individual players, and then we'll move them accordingly. But it really is a kind of a fun process, and I think you know, the entire trading team really enjoys it. Um, you know, one of our traders, Brad Joniak, really put it together. And, you know, uh, then we sat down and all kind of talked about it and dove into it and, and had some fun. But, hey, like I put in that email, buddy, it is never too early to start <laughs> chatting football. I, I, I assume, too, that, I mean, these are... I mean, these are in incredibly fun discussions to have. I mean, this is just what other industry, if you could not play, what other industry would you rather be in? And I also, Chuck, I mean, talking about analytics, 
analytics has got to be a godsend for your side of the counter because it really has to be a major tool and a major time saver. It is. I mean, we've really, over the last, I'd say, you know, um, uh, 36 months have, have really kind of, you know, made that a, a focus of, of what we do in our day-to-day lives. And we're, we're looking at that um, all the time, and um, it's fun to kind of go through that. I mean, people think that, you know, you just um, kind of put a number up. Um, and, you know, I, I love it when, you know, you hear guests, many times say, oh, that, you know, that number is way too high or that number is way too low. Yeah. That's too easy. And they're right. Sometimes they're, they're absolutely right. But, but we, it, it's not that it's just that I kid sometimes and say there's a dartboard behind my door and we'll, we'll throw it. And it's, you know, there's a two, four, six, eight, <laughs> wherever it lands we're putting up. And sometimes it might appear that way. But there really is a lot more kind of time and effort and, and discussion that goes into it um, that you're right. If you're a, kind of a sports junkie as I am and have fun with it and um, that that becomes an important part, guys, of, of everything we do every single day. Well, Chuck, we always appreciate you coming on. And nothing but to be- the best to you. We'll talk to you again on Friday and take care of uh, your little pass rusher here that's uh, terrorizing the dreams of uh, Chris Johnson. I will. I will, we'll have to. You know, Brian used to have him on once in a while. Nick really? Pop on and, All right, let's and have the, him on. The NFL draft special. Yes. Um, so we got to get him on one day, Chris, where we can oh, yeah. have some fun and, and, and you guys can reminisce a little bit. But you think I can talk sports. This kid's a chip off the old block, so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's all good stuff. But always love kicking off the week with you guys and uh, look forward to um, Friday. I'm sure we'll be just concentrating more and more on baseball. Yes. A couple of other things we're working on that I'll, I'll send you, Dana, and uh, we'll have some fun. So you guys have a great week, and I'll chat with you guys on Friday. Uh, Chris is having A-gap nightmares, and we appreciate your, <laughs> your, your time very much, Chuck. We'll talk on Friday. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. There he goes. Chuck Esposito, Sportsbook Director for Station Casinos. That does it for Sportsbook Radio. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll fire up Vegas Hockey Hotline. We'll talk about last night's Stanley Cup Final. 